Hey, we've made it to Friday. Welcome to The Debrief. I'm Candace Gibson. We have a new Congress. We have the same old problems, though. The shutdown continues. The president, though, is meeting with congressional leaders today. We'll find out if they'll make any progress. And this is definitely something that he will highlight at some point today. The new jobs numbers for December are out. Very impressive. More than 300,000 jobs um, in that month. Here are your headlines for the Friday. Heavy rain, high winds, and surging seawater slam coastal villages and world-famous tourist resorts in Thailand as tropical storm Pabok made landfall on the southeast coast. It's expected to be the worst storm to hit that region in 30 years. The lawyer for the American facing spying charges in Russia now says his client may be part of a prisoner swap, says Paul Whelan could be exchanged for Russian Maria Patina, who's pleaded guilty to acting as a foreign agent in the U.S. Scientist Neil deGrasse Tyson is now off the air as he faces sexual misconduct allegations. Variety reports that the National Geographic Channel has pulled Tyson's show Star Talk as the claims are investigated. Reports emerged in November that two women accused him of inappropriate behavior. Another woman has claimed he raped her when they were grad students in the 80s. He denies those allegations. Kevin Hart could be back as host of the Oscars. Hart withdrew his name last month because of an uproar over his past tweets that included homophobic jokes. But in a new interview released overnight, Ellen DeGeneres revealed that she called the Academy and asked them to bring Hart back as host. She says the Academy agreed. Hart says he stepped down last month even though he apologized for the 10-year-old jokes several times in the past. A shocker overnight from women's college basketball. Top-ranked UConn lost to Baylor 68-57. to That ends UConn's 126-game regular season winning streak that dated back to 2013. At that point, they also lost to Baylor. All right, let's get right to it right now on this Friday because it is day 14 of the government shutdown. So that means both sides are going to come together and this is going to all end today. There's going to be a kumbaya and then they're going to have some hot chocolate there on the White House lawn. Right, Karen? I would not hold your breath oh, for that today, Candace. But there is a meeting scheduled within this hour. The president will be sitting down with congressional leaders from both to... parties, from the House and Senate. And this is part of these ongoing talks over the partial government shutdown and border security. But, Candace, there is no indication right now that either side is budging. Uh, House Democrats are insisting $1.3 billion for border security. That is all they will give. The president, of course, still wants money for the physical border wall. And we're hearing an interesting push and pressure from Democrats right now, Candace. We heard this on Wednesday. Expect to see it again today at the White House today. Democrats asking why the president will not approve legislation that reopens all of those other agencies, not DHS, everything else that shut down but not a part of border security. Chuck Schumer just said it moments ago on the Senate floor. And here's what Nancy Pelosi, the new House Speaker, said last night on Capitol Hill. The president cannot hold public employees hostage because he wants to have a wall that is not effective, uh, not effective in terms of its purpose, not cost effective in terms of 
uh, what the uh, opportunity cost it is of, of federal dollars to spend. And the president has said Mexico's going to pay for this. Come on, let's, let's anchor ourselves into reality. Mexico is not going to pay for this wall. So, no. And, Kenneth, it's not clear where the president would compromise, if he would compromise at all. He tweets that the wall is coming. He makes comments that he wants a border wall. But then he'll say, and so will his top officials, that border security, call it what you want, that he wants to protect the country. And that's his primary uh, goal and responsibility as president. But Democrats point to this to say it's really difficult to negotiate with the White House right now when there isn't a consistent message. And the president, Kendis, this week even contradicted an offer from his own vice president that was sort of a middle ground here of $2.5 billion. The president said on Wednesday he wouldn't accept anything like that. That, of course, is what Vice President Pence put on the table. Yeah, some Democrats have said it's sort of like negotiating with Jello when trying to negotiate <laughs> nothing with Nothing is sticking. Nothing mm -hmm. is sticking at all. But the Democrats, they are uh, going back to the White House, Sarah, at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue mm -hmm. today. What do we expect to play out? We're not expecting to see any of this briefing. It will once again take place in the Situation Room, just like it did on Wednesday. But after that briefing on Wednesday, we heard from Democrats and Republicans who came out, gave their readout of the meeting, and of course put their spin on it. I expect we will see that again today, especially from the Democrats, because they are really trying to box the president into a corner on this and asking, as we just heard Nancy Pelosi say, why won't he move forward on all of those other spending bills? Why won't he reopen the parts of the the government not impacted. One reason, uh, Senate Republicans aren't moving forward on this legislation, Kendis, so it passes in the House, but mm -hmm. it doesn't go straight to the president. Republican leaders there say they are not going to vote on anything unless the president would sign it, and we also learn that the Senate is adjourned until early next week, so the standoff, so even if a deal is reached, <laughs> everything stays status quo for a couple of days. So it is going to go into a third week, week in three. essence, mm -hmm. indeed. All right, our Karen Travers there. And obviously, you have hundreds of thousands of people who are impacted by this. If you are among those who are impacted by this, go to our website and let us know. Has a government shutdown personally affected you? We're not talking about not being able to see the, the panda cam or being able to go to the Smithsonian, but personally affect you, be sure to uh, uh, log into abcnews.com slash politics and let us hear your story. So the president just tweeted, um, that great jobs numbers just announced in all caps and they were very impressive look at them that's pretty big beating expectations aaron katursky is here to break it all down good morning good to see you Ken. good to see you aaron. this is a big number that was well beyond expectations at three hundred twelve thousand, and this was uh, these were broad-based gains uh, across all sectors construction manufacturing health care food services and beverage services all were hiring in rather robust numbers. And in fact, the number of jobs created in December is the highest in, in the last 10 months. So it certainly is a bit of a counterpoint to some of the, uh, the, the other economic news we've seen of late. Yeah, it, it, it really, really is. But there are some who might say, and obviously this, these were good numbers for November or for December and a whole, but that there's a lot of hiring. There's a lot of seasonal hiring that takes place in December. Was that a reflection of this or not? Could be. Uh, okay. and, and I think given where a lot of the jobs occurred, you could say that uh, there's some uh, seasonal hiring, especially in retail mm -hmm. and, in, and in restaurants and in bars. So we'll yep. see if there's still the same numbers as we get on into uh, this month in February, but you can't deny the the 
the, the large S here. And yeah. I think that's what's in part cheering the stock market, along with some news that China and the United States are going to finally start negotiating some mm -hmm. of their uh, trade issues. And, and we heard just a, a bit ago from the chairman of the Federal Reserve who said he's willing to be patient and, and look at how the economy is doing before setting monetary policy in stone. All right, but we'll see. The, the markets have been reacting to, to the good job numbers, but they've also been reacting um, to the earnings reports, uh, a preview of earnings reports and the possibility that some companies aren't doing as great. And those companies in particular, like maybe Apple, Apple mm -hmm. uh, that have business in China, which yep. has been uh, suffering through this trade war with the United States, those, uh, those companies are going to be adversely affected, and, and the White House economic advisor has acknowledged as such. And so you can't have these things coexist, robust job numbers yeah. and companies that are suffering. Either the, the economy is good and the companies are going to keep hiring, yep. or the economy isn't so good and it's slowing down and the jobs numbers are going to slow down with it. And that Apple chart that we had up there for just a brief moment there was really impressive and depressing at the same time, especially if you have Apple stock. Look at how it has dived in the last three months, losing $325 billion in capital there. It's a disappointing number for uh, Apple investors for sure, but yeah. I think more to the point, and Tim Cook, the Apple chief, reflected this in an interview the other day, it, it reflects the real world consequences yeah. of political decisions. Yeah, awesome. Aaron Kutorski, good to see you in person. Good to see you Glad too, to know Kevin. that you exist, <laughs> real life human. All right, our thanks to you. Uh, we're going to move on right now into the desperate manhunt that is taking place in Houston, of course, for the killer of that seven-year-old child, a young girl who was there in the car with her sisters and her mother. They were driving on a roadway when someone opened fire. Her funeral this weekend, the manhunt continues. Here's Will Carr. Will. Good morning, Candace. Authorities here at the Harris County Sheriff's Office are hoping for a big break in this case after they just released new surveillance video of the suspect's truck. They actually teamed up with NASA, even with the government shutdown, to enhance that video that shows the truck driving throughout the streets of West Houston just a short time before they say the suspect in that truck shot and killed seven-year-old Jasmina Barnes. They also just released this composite of the suspect and they want for people in this area to take a hard look at this picture. This is a composite from the description uh, that Jasmina's sisters offered to authorities here. They say the suspect is a white male wearing a dark hoodie, that he's in his 30s or his 40s and that he's skinny and they say that he was sick looking. This all happened last Sunday. Jasmina was in the car with her mom and her three sisters in West Houston when authorities say that red pickup truck drove up next to them and then the suspect started firing into that truck. Jasmina sadly, tragically was killed. Her mom was shot in the arm. Now, I spoke one on one with the sheriff. He tells me at this point it's really unclear uh, if this was racially motivated. He also says that they're taking a second hard look at an unsolved case from back in 2017, another shooting to see if there are any direct links between these shootings. At this point, he says it doesn't appear so, but he wants to be 100% sure that they don't have a serial shooter on the streets. At the same time, the community here is really rallying around Jasmina's family. They have raised more than $100,000 for information that would lead to an arrest. Uh, celebrities like Shaq, uh, a local uh, a police officer here in Houston, have teamed up to donate some money to that. Also, uh, Houston Texans wide receiver and star DeAndre Hopkins has pledged his playoff check 
uh, from this upcoming weekend to go to that fund as well. That's $29,000. Jasmina's mom tells me that that really means the world to her family right now after they've pretty much lost everything. They're struggling knowing that so many people not only here in Houston but across the country are supporting them really means everything to them. Candace. I can imagine, Will, that they need all the support that they can get, especially this weekend with the funeral arrangements planned for that young lady. We move on to another tragedy, and this one playing out on the highway there of Gainesville, Florida. Look at this. Some eyewitness video for this horrific crash and the horrific details that we're learning right now. Among the seven people killed, five were children. Haley Wade from our affiliate W. CJB has the latest. Haley. Candace, the sight of this crash yesterday was just incredible. And to give you an idea of how severe it was, crews are still working this morning just to try and get everything cleaned up. As soon as we stepped out of our cars, you could just smell the smoke in the air left from yesterday's fire, as well as the gasoline that's still covering the ground here. If we look over here, you can see the debris that is left behind today. Now, this crash, crews tell us, involved a meat truck as well as a mail truck. All the debris is just scattered out here along the side of the road. And the door of one of those trucks just ripped off, laying on the side along with that debris. Now, the biggest problem that crews face this morning is just trying to clean up this oil and fuel that it's left behind. It's making the roads so slick, they still can't open up these two lanes. And while this crash closed down I-75 for hours yesterday, it also left seven people dead and seven people injured. That does involve children. Crews today are just working to try and get everything cleaned up. You can see the damage is so bad on part of the road. They're just going to repave it rather than trying to just clean everything off of it. Again, traffic through I-75 moving slowly this morning as one lane is open. Reporting in Florida, I'm Haley Wade. Back to you, Candace. Yeah, our thanks to Haley Wade there and many of those children who were the victims um, were coming from Louisiana and were in a van. They range in age from eight to nine to teenage. Just a tragedy there in Gainesville. We move on to another one that is taking place in New Jersey, and this is the height of ski season. So this is the worst thing that anybody would like to hear. A young person, a 17-year-old, fell from a chairlift in what was a deadly incident. Our Witt Johnson has the latest from Wawa, New Jersey. Candace, it's still unclear what caused that teenager's deadly fall from a ski lift in the Poconos, but this comes right as the ski season is about to launch into high gear. Now, these types of accidents are very rare, but with the lift so high above the ground, if something does go wrong, it can be devastating. Police are investigating whether a problem with the seat bar could have played a role in the death of 17-year-old Connor Golembiuski, the teen falling from his chairlift New Year's Day, dropping 37 feet to the ground below. The Blue Mountain Ski Resort calling the accident tragic, telling ABC News in a statement immediately after the incident, the lift was inspected and found to be in good operating order with no mechanical defects. Again, we don't know what happened in this case, but the National Ski Areas Association says it's safer to ride a ski lift than an elevator, and typical falls from the chairs are often human error. Lembiuski's death is the third fatality at that same resort in just over a year. The other two deaths caused by ski and snowboard accidents. Now, many ski resorts, including this one here in New Jersey, actually have safety tips posted before you get on the lift itself. Once you're in position, make sure that you pull down the safety bar. If you have a backpack, put it on your lap, secure it in place. And finally, if you drop something, don't make the mistake of so many. Don't reach for it. Wait till you get to the top, 
contact Ski Patrol. They can help you track down those items. Candice? All right, some very good tips there. It is always one of those things that is very alarming and scary for anybody, no matter if you're a novice skier or snowboarder or somebody who is an expert whenever you get there in the ski lift in that chair. Um, let's talk about the weather right now because there's a major storm system that it's moving its way from the south up to the northeast and mid-Atlantic states right now. Ginger Z has been tracking the storms. Ginger. Candace, thanks. So we're kicking off the weekend with another storm to talk about. Yes, going on day two. They had a really early weekend in many schools for Oklahoma and Texas because of this winter storm that dropped anywhere from two to seven inches of snow, shut down parts of Interstate 40 in the panhandle of Texas. And then you see not just the roads a mess, but of course, Lawton, Oklahoma, you had record daily snowfalls. Like there, they had three and a half inches. Oklahoma City had four and a half inches. And then you take it to the warm side of the storm, there's problems there too. In Mississippi, they had to open spillways because even if you get one, two, or three inches of rain on top of what's been happening the last month or so in the southeast, that's what you get. You have to kind of allow it to release before you get more flooding. So it's happening this morning with flood watches in Atlanta, raining heavily in Atlanta, moves up through the mid-Atlantic, so I think Baltimore and Washington, D.C. will get it right about or after the drive time, up to New York City and Boston by Saturday, and it'll just be a wet start to the weekend. That's a big deal because everybody's saturated, right, even through Pennsylvania, Ohio, even back into the Great Lakes. And then I'll have to go west because you have to talk about the new storms coming in, and I say storms, and I really want you to listen to that S, the plural part, because there's storm one, two, three, and that's not even it. It's just this constant barrage of storm after storm. So the Sierra is looking forward to getting more of their snowpack because they're doing better than they were last year, and they're going to get it. Look at that. Locally, 30 inches through next Wednesday for some areas. That's pretty cool uh, for them. Uh, when you're closer to the coast, it maybe won't be as great, especially for travel in Northern California and up through parts of the Cascades. And finally, why not? I don't know about you, Kendis, but I'm not a fan of snow. And apparently, <laughs> these three in Chickasha, Oklahoma, at least in this frame of this picture, were not as well. <laughs> I guess they're not used to it down there in Oklahoma, getting that much snow, um, at least this early in the winter there. Our thanks to Ginger Z. What a pattern for the Northwest. It's going to be a long, wet weekend um, and a few days ahead. So. The briefing room is coming up at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time. They're all set. It's going to be a busy day in Washington, so there's going to be a lot of news that's going to be made this afternoon. World News Prime, 8 p.m. Eastern. And, of course, download the app for the latest breaking news alerts. That's it for the debrief on this Friday. I'm Candace Gibson. Have a great one.